the free for all roundtable round two on the panel today for round two, Pamela Pometer, law professor and activist, former leader of the Ontario Conservatives, now with the Ontario Real Estate Association, Tim Hudak and Max Velikat, advertising and media guy. Media guy. That's a pretty good title, Max. It's a bit of far-reaching title, media guy. Yeah. What media? Any media. I'm a media Any guy. Media. Yeah. Well, if I need some media, I can be like George Costanza and say, I got a guy. Um, <laughs> so um, one, of, one of the hot topics, I think, is, and it's going to fit into your wheelhouse right off the top here, Tim Hudak, and it is the plan that Doug Ford is pushing forth to get more houses built. We're not talking about the Greenbelt portion of it. We're talking now about the portion where Doug Ford is saying to developers, we'll take away the development fees. Well, that is of understandable concern to the municipalities, and uh, it's, it's becoming a big fight between Ford, it seems, and Mississauga Mayor Bonnie Crombie and Toronto Mayor John Tory. And here's something that the Premier said. I'm asking for a partnership with Mayor Crombie, Mayor Tory, all the other mayors. If we sit back and think some magical thing is going to happen, or you think when people come here we're going to start living in mud huts, it's not going to happen under our government. We want to work collaboratively, cooperatively with you. But we need to uh, get on board and, and start moving forward and stop the whining and complaining that I hear day in and day out. Stop whining. Okay, so Tim Hudak, uh, as the head of the Ontario Real Estate Association, is the premier right? The mayors are whining or do the mayors have a point? Well, the plan is a good one, and they're using a lot of the ideas that, that we put on the table uh, from you know Ontario's realtors at the Real Estate Association. Look, we are in a desperate situation where young people can't get in the housing market. We're going to lose talent to other jurisdictions because of the cost of housing alone. And if you undermine the ability of people to climb the ladder and afford a home, you're going to undermine the strength of our middle class. The good news is, Jerry, the answers are out there. They're on the table. The bad news is it does imply some tough choices and trade-offs. And there's no doubt that development charges have been the crack cocaine of municipalities. They keep jacking them up to get more and more money. They're sitting on about $9 billion of those revenues. But who ultimately pays the price? It's a first-time home buyer. In some municipalities, Jerry, they're about $125,000 to $150,000 before you put a spade in the ground to build. Do I think the Premier should have ended the sentence the way he did? No, I thought he got 90% of that as an A+. But unfortunately, when you add on those last words, the uh, the whining word, it attracts the headlines and distracts from the motive, which is the right motive. I The problem I have here, Pamela Pometer, is, okay, we can have development fees, and then that makes the housing more expensive, or the province can make the municipalities whole because they have expenses, and those fees were paying for those expenses, and then the taxpayers pay for that. It just seems like the bottom end of the ladder gets kicked the most. It's always that way. It's the people who actually need the housing at every price level, including subsidized housing, that always lose. We're always focused on the industries, the corporations, the governments, and 
we don't put enough time looking at the people who really need the housing. Why don't we talk about something like massive subsidies for the people who need it so that more and more people can actually get into housing, which again is the circle of industry, you know, and then we need more houses and then the more houses get built and, you know, all those corporations make their big money. But we need to really focus on the people who need housing most. But when I, Max, when, but when I hear we need subsidies, well, somebody pays those subsidies and somebody driving right now maybe to the grocery store is thinking, I'm kind of tapped out already. Yeah, I mean, this is a perfect storm of bad situations bringing all of this together, right? The part about it that I think I have the 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 most problem with here is that this really has to be a solution that, that crosses different areas of jurisdiction. And the premier has got to do a better job here of bringing mayors on board, telling someone to stop whining normally isn't a great way to begin that collaborative relationship that he's looking to develop with mayors. So the solution for this is really important. We're facing a housing crisis. We're facing inflation. We're facing a whole bunch of issues that are making this difficult for the people that need it the most. And I think we just need to see a different kind of leadership here that is actually truthfully inclusive with the mayors of different municipalities across the province to actually make this happen properly. I don't like that we've gotten started on a, on a bad foot here. We need to fix this. All right, let's transition into leadership, because an article that I've been looking at here says a small group of leading Ontario Liberals are quietly courting Green Party leader Mike Schreiner. Well, it's not quiet anymore, because now, now we're all talking about it, yeah. but they want him to switch parties and run for the Liberal Party leadership. Tim Hudak, you were once a party leader, the Conservatives. I've always wondered why Mike Schreiner isn't a Liberal anyway, because he's, he's popular. He can do something Greens can't normally do which is get elected. And uh, I've always said to him, why don't you get into a party where you actually might be able to affect some change? If he was leader of the liberals, he'd have the opportunity to uh, to grow the party because they can't get any smaller. This would seem like a real opportunity for Mike Schreiner. Yeah, but to win and be successful, you got to be true to your heart. People can see through you pretty quickly if you're not speaking from the heart as leader, but what you truly believe in. So I get this, Jerry, from the liberal point of view. In fact, Dalton McGuinty was very successful, won that minority government when I was PC leader, largely from a swing of green voters to his party. They did a lot of wacky policies like massive subsidies for solar and wind that we're going to pay for through hydro bills for a long time, but they got that vote. So I get them strategically, and Schreiner would be a great catch for them. But knowing this guy as I have for quite some time, I think at least a decade plus, I see him as principled, I see him as a true believer, and he's actually to the right of the Liberals on many issues today. I just don't think it's it's the right place for him because he's not a Liberal at the end of the day. I'll say it. He's just too principled to what he believes in. Well, uh, principled is a great thing to have, but Pamela, the reality of politics is you're no use unless you win. Yeah, yes and no. <laughs> um, I think ultimately there is a world where you could have strong principles around the basics, human rights, environmental protections, and make that work in today's society, in today's economy, in green transitions. And if he was elected leader and he could encourage others who are elected and the public to to move in that direction, then he might be able to accomplish both. Because I think all of the unprincipled politicians that we see now that are heading, you know, even fringe right is not the direction we want to go in. So I don't see how this could be a bad thing. It could possibly be an opportunity.
Well, I, I would also, and I know, Max, that what I'm about to say is a cynical thing to say, but it's much easier to be principled when nothing that you do is going to have any consequence. So, and when you're not only the leader of the Green Party, you are the Green Party. He's it. He's the only one um, in, you know, who's elected. Uh, and so he can take any position he wants because his political future is not in jeopardy. Yeah. And and the question becomes, do you want to be leader of a party of one that has a great difficulty getting any of your policies enacted? Or do you want to maybe start to make some compromises and see more of your parties get enacted? But I've got to disagree with Tim Hudak here. I mean, Bob Ray ran for the liberals in what, 2006. He was elected in 2008. He he uh, was interim liberal leader after a high profile NDP career for a couple of years. Jean Charest at the federal progressive conservatives for four years. Then he was Quebec premier as a liberal. There's certainly plenty examples of great success in Canadian politics from politicians who have managed to successfully cross from one party to another. It's a question of how it is handled and if it's handled properly. Yeah, it's a good opportunity for the Liberal Party. Well, you made me think of a politician who left his party, joined another one, and then after a while he left that one and went back to the original party, and that was Winston Churchill. And he's pretty well thought of. Did we defeat your point, Tim, or are you going Conceded. You put Shriners in pretty high company there with uh, with Churchill, and I will say, having having been there, the New Democrats will say that that Bob Ray was the worst liberal leader the New Democrats ever had. So they would probably disagree with that assessment. Ma, um, well, I, I, Jerry, I know that Churchill's not available anymore anyway, so I feel like he's probably not. He's probably not not going to do it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, and then when the war was over, they got rid of him. So that's that's politics. Metrolink's plan for Osgood Hall transit stop directly threatens. The court's ability to deliver justice is what some people are saying. Now, Pamela, I thought we were done with this story because Metrolink said they backed off on cutting the trees down. Uh, yeah, I I thought it was too, honestly, and that they were doing some, you know, relationship building with the local indigenous peoples and planning for the future. So I'm not sure where this is coming from. I think the t- the title is a is a bit over the top. I mean, if you're worried about the building or historical preservation, that's one thing. But to say it threatens justice is is really something else. Yeah, we can't we can't talk about this issue. They're taking the trees down. It's just it just seems like a, a, a stretch, doesn't it, Max? Yeah, it it totally does, <laughs> especially when you know. We're supposed to be in a time where we're, we're speaking truth and not exaggeration, and uh, certainly a court or court representatives shouldn't be exaggerating like that. You know, I'm, I'm, I just I have a vision of treehouse courtrooms where everything is being uh, is being. And it's, it seems kind of cute to me. I don't know. Look, uh, if you're telling me that there's um, hiccups and difficulties in this Metrolink's plan to get, uh, I'm shocked. I say I'm shocked. I'm shocked. But it feels like there's much bigger issues here that maybe we should be focusing on. I agree with Pam. The hyperbole of the language never helps anyone, right? Because then we're talking about the things that we don't need to be talking about. So calm, cooler heads need to prevail here, so we can get to solutions and get the city the transit that it needs in a smart way as efficiently as possible. Well, I think this is a big issue and it comes up from time to time. And the headline in the Toronto Star is parking fees at hospitals contribute to financial toxicity for cancer patients. Tim, should people people be able to park for free at the hospital or is the expense of health care so great that any money the hospitals can bring in they need? 
A bit of both. So you need to find a, a balance uh, here. Hospitals do need revenue. It can put into getting new machinery, equipment, improving our services. And as you mentioned earlier, the taxpayers pay an awful lot already as it is. But you have to be reasonable. Like somebody's going in there regularly, a longer stay, cancer treatments, that kind of thing. Hospitals should have some kind of deal for people who are in there for these circumstances and a you know longer term. I do think there are other sources of revenues hospitals can get. There was a time where hospitals were doing more work work when they weren't doing OHIP bill services, where they were using MRIs and CT machines for other patients who were paying out of pocket or coming from abroad or other areas like this. I know that makes some people go haywire, but it actually brought in more revenue to keep and got more public services as a result. There's an idea right there. Okay, only about 20 seconds, but Pamela, should people park for free at the hospital? Yes. Healthcare should be free in all of its ways, especially for those who are impoverished or incredibly ill. So... That's, okay. Yes. But, yeah, we can't. I mean, we can't pay for the gas on the way over. I mean, there's a point at which it stops. But, uh, but I appreciate it, and we're at the point where this stops um, to make way for the news. Pamela Palmer, Tim Hudak, Max Valiket. Thanks very much. Catch the roundtable round one at seven forty-five, round two at eight forty-five. Weekday mornings on More in the Morning News Talk ten ten Toronto.